Good morning, church. So we are reading through Romans, the 12th chapter of Romans. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you'd like to turn to the 12th chapter of Romans, um, if you don't have a Bible, the, the verses will be on the screen behind me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is a giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive, that it is powerful, and that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. Father, I pray that your word will sharpen us today, 
that we will not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we will be transformed by your word and by the renewing of our mind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Maiden. Let me just get set up. Um, we will be attempting once again to use our translation device, although I've lost my lanyards. There we are. Um, for anyone who is new to this, we, we will <laughs> try to smooth this up and get it plugged into our AV desk. We have um, a piece of software which should turn on right now. Um, a piece of technology that should be live translating what I'm saying into various different languages. The QR codes are at the back. Um, and as you walk in, so in future weeks, the sermon, we, 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 we will always try, as best as this technology works, for, um, for our services to be able to be translated into um, the various languages that might be represented by people here. Um, so I'm going to start it. In future weeks, hopefully, it won't be um, someone faffing around on stage. It will already be happening up at the top. Okay. Well, that is working. And I'm glad to be back. Been in Singapore for a couple of weeks. Um, and do you want to know what I like about this place? Do you want to know what I like about you guys? It's how noisy you are at the start of services. I've been in some places where it is absolute silence at the beginning of a service until someone says, okay, now everyone go and say hello to each other, and then suddenly there's an eruption of noise which ceases very quickly again, and everyone gets back to this. Whereas in your case, it takes about five minutes to try and get everyone in, seated, because you're already talking to each other, you're already caring about one another, and where this ties in with my message today is actually I think you've convinced me that there is more harmony in this room than I originally thought. I thought it was disharmony for everyone to be nattering away and chatting and I, I, you sort of think, no, it should be very peaceful, very quiet and we should be able to get on with things in an orderly fashion. But hopefully, as we'll see from this passage, actually I think the Bible's idea of harmony, which is what we're going to be focusing on today, is more messy than I had originally realized. And actually, I think we should press into really caring about one another as we arrive so that we are talking and the anchor has to try and get your attention because you're caring about one another's lives. We're invested. We're already doing that kind of stuff. So well done on that level. Uh, I've, I've missed you for that reason. Um, the passage says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud or haughty, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited or wise in your own eyes. Now, as we've been going through the letter of Romans, and whenever you're in the New Testament, or any part of Scripture really, but especially the letters that are written to churches, it's very helpful to ask the question, well, why does he feel the need to say this? What potential problem might he be addressing in saying this and giving this instruction to live in harmony with one another? And I think that the clue is in the later chapters um, in chapters 14 and 15, where we get a bit of insight into what the situation was, the social situation was, 
in the church. And I think Paul was concerned about how newcomers were being treated in the church in Rome. You can imagine the scenario. This church gathering in a house had been meeting together for a little while now. They had started to do things in a certain way. When they meet together, they would read scripture, they would pray, they would share their lives, and they would eat together. And you can imagine if you've been doing this for a little while, for a couple of months or a year or so, that you start to adopt certain customs. We eat certain foods here, we do certain things here. And then you can imagine one of their group one day would have been reading through Romans and heard that it was important for us to go out and share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus with their neighbor or their friend or their work colleague. And they did that with one of their neighbors and their neighbor surprisingly started to be interested and wanted to come along and wanted to get involved with this group that we're gathering. But it became very quickly apparent to the group that had been gathering for a while and had a kind of harmony because they'd got used to one another that this new individual was quite different to them. Maybe they looked different, spoke different, were from a different background or a different class. Perhaps they were from a different religion originally. And perhaps when they brought food to the gatherings, they brought food that offended the group. Perhaps a group of vegetarians and they bring meat to the gathering and that seems very insensitive to have done such a thing. And something started to occur. This apparent harmony that was in this church, everyone was getting along okay. Someone different arrives or a group of different people arrive and try and join in and suddenly you start to see the divisions. You start to get the pecking. You start to get people saying things under their breath about these new people that were coming in. Or you start to see certain behaviors. Perhaps all of the parents would eat together with their families and would exclude the new parents with new families and would never really show them any attention so that they feel excluded. And all of these little pecks eventually would lead to perhaps that group leaving or what would achieve harmony very quickly? Apparent harmony, what would achieve it very quickly? Well, it would be to create two congregations, wouldn't it? If you've got some people who like eating certain foods and meeting at a certain time of day and doing it in a certain type of way, and you've got others and you've got tension, well, what's the easiest solution? It's to split the difference and allow everyone to do things in whatever way they want. And that is what Paul, I think, might be concerned about. He is worried that they are going to try and achieve a fake version of harmony in order to keep everyone happy rather than experiencing something far more glorious, which is what God intends. And I think this is where Paul is saying, look, you need to live in harmony with one another. He doesn't say, look, agree to disagree and part ways. Form two communities. He says, live in harmony with one another. And then in chapter 15 of Romans, so a little while later, he actually goes on to pray for this in the church. He said, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another 
in accord with Christ Jesus. Paul is very concerned that they don't try and adopt a fake version of harmony in order to keep everyone happy, but actually they strive to try and achieve something that is much greater, which is a biblical view of harmony, living in harmony with one another. I think Jesus preempted this in one of his teachings. He was around uh, someone's house, and they were having a banquet, and he says this. He says to the man, this is in Luke chapter 14, who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case that they also invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because you, they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, Jesus is obviously alluding to a number of things relating to his kingdom in that, but I want you to just take at least the basic thing. Jesus was predicting a moment when his people would start gathering in their homes and he wanted them to not simply create groups of people that were like them and already liked them, but would actually be communities that were open to people who were nothing like them and perhaps could not really, on the surface, bring anything to the table. They were poor. Perhaps they couldn't contribute food to the gathering, so you would have to actually buy more to welcome everyone in. They were lame or crippled in those days. They, they needed extra help, and you would need to go out of your way to do that. And Taylor, a few weeks ago, spoke on showing hospitality. And I think it's very much together with this. Do you realize that if we invite harmony into this place, we are also inviting mess and tension and disagreement and difficulty because trying to live in harmony with one another, biblical harmony, means working through tensions, not avoiding them or ignoring them. It means having disagreements so that we can come to an agreement. It means getting messy so that we can get into a better place of beauty. So I think Paul's been very clear that achieving true harmony in this church, and I would say in this church, is going to be disruptive, especially to those of us who've been around for a while, those of us who have perhaps become a bit comfortable, those who like things being done in a certain way, living in harmony with whoever God brings through our doors is going to be a very exciting challenge. I think he then goes on to address a second type of fake harmony. And this is what I call hierarchical harmony. He says, do not be haughty or proud, but associate with the lowly. Now that verse, that phrase, could also be translated. There's disagreements among scholars, depending on which, which original version they may be looking at. It either means, do not be proud, but associate with the lowly, or give yourself to lowly tasks. So it says, either associate with people of low position in society, or do the jobs that are usually regarded as low jobs in society. Now, I would say 
both of those obviously connect together. Because in societies, people who are regarded by society as less important usually do the less important jobs. That is how we judge people in society. And you may grow up, people grow up in environments where they just think there are only certain jobs that I get to do. Either because you've got too high a view of yourself and you think, well, I deserve to be doing the more important things, or you're less, you have a lower esteem of yourself and your family and your background, and you think, I'm only ever cut out to do these kinds of jobs. Now, in society, we see that all over the place. Certain kinds of people end up doing certain kinds of jobs because our society is, works in this hierarchical way. But in the church, Paul wants to challenge that completely. Now, again, remember how disruptive this would have been because you can achieve apparent harmony by just allowing everyone to stick to the status quo. If we just allowed the people from higher in society to do the more important things in the church and people from lower in society to do the less important things, everyone would be peaceful because that's just how the world works and there would be no disruption. But instead in the church, Paul is saying, no, no, no. Those of you who are masters of your households, those of you who are perhaps business owners, even the university lecturers, perhaps in Rome, I want you to be washing the dishes. I want you to be doing the jobs that servants would usually do. And perhaps God has gifted the servants in that community to have the best teaching gifts and to be the people who lead the congregation. Now, we will have seen that in the lives of Jesus' disciples. Think of his disciples, the leaders of the early church. One was a potentially failing fisherman. Another was a hated tax collector. Another was Jesus' brother James, who probably would have been a carpenter. Manual labor jobs that in a Roman society or even in a wider Jewish society aren't necessarily respected. These would perhaps be, oh, you do the manual labor stuff. When we gather together as a church, you do the hard graft, you do the lifting, you do the difficult stuff, and the more well-educated will do the leading and the uh, speaking and all of that. And yet Jesus threw that upside down and said, no, 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 this fisherman who keeps cursing and rejecting me, it's likely he was reasonably well-educated and a decent businessman, but he wouldn't have been of high regard in society. He wouldn't have been regarded as one of the Pharisees. He is going to be the, the apostle of the church in Jerusalem. Jesus has designed a completely different society that should exist within his Groupings. Wherever he gathers people together, we shouldn't just stick with how society separates everyone out. But actually, we should strive for something far more powerful, which is the harmony being described here, where those who usually get served by people should actively serve other people, should get their hands dirty, should not rush off and allow others to clean up. And vice versa, those who would usually just immediately, oh, it's my job, I'm sure I should be the one washing up, cleaning up. 
No, 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 not necessarily. You might have a different role. God may have gifted us in different ways that look very different from society. So that, again, is a fake version of of harmony that I think Paul is trying to address. And I think we should take an honest look at ourselves and think about, do I just rush off and not help tidy up the chairs, not help clean up, not help with the refreshments, not help washing up after lunch, because I don't expect to do that. I think Paul would have a different opinion. Jesus would have a different opinion of how we should be treating one another that isn't just like it is in society. And then the final version of harmony that I think we need to avoid, fake harmony, is what I call harmless harmony. Now, I'm a zoologist, so you always get animal-related illustrations from me. In uh, certain places in the world, there's there's something called a niche in nature. Niche or niche, um, I think Americans would call it. And, And the idea is that no two species can occupy the same niche in nature. They have to live in slightly different niches. So one will eat certain bugs, and another will eat other bugs, so that they don't fight over the same bugs, so that they can avoid one another, so that they don't outcompete one another, and one of the species will die out. And this is the case with what are called anole lizards. You could find a forest clearing like this, with lots of different with trees, and you could take a step back, and you could find all of these different species of lizard. And you might think they're living in wonderful harmony with one another, because they're all in the same place. They're all in the same trees, they're all in the same forest, they clearly love each other, they clearly want to make it work, they're clearly sharing, but that isn't the case. They have adapted so that they are occupying very different niches. Some of them Their bedtime is a certain time, another, their bedtime is another time. Some come out at night, some come out in the morning, some eat certain types of food, some live in the top of the tree, bottom of the tree. Do you see where my illustration is going? This could potentially be the case in the church. A church could look wonderfully diverse and as if it's in wonderful harmony because we have lots of different kinds of people in the same place. But actually, they all avoid one another. They only hang out with similar people to them. They don't really rub shoulders at all. There isn't much interaction. They're occupying different niches in the church, and therefore, there is no harmony at all. We've just acted like the natural world. Whereas Paul says, associate with the lowly. That's very active, and that means you really need to get to know people who are not like you. You really need to invest yourself in their lives. You don't just stick with similar people, but actually you cross boundaries, you cross barriers, you cross language barriers in order to achieve a harmony that is far more glorious and far more beautiful. I would say this, it it probably means not rushing off after a Sunday service, because that would just mean that you've managed to 
very cleverly avoid the majority of people, sit down in a seat and then avoid them again and move out. And you wouldn't have experienced the kind of harmony that God wants for this church, but also for all of us. You see, these instructions are not just so a church looks good, it's so that we grow and become more like Jesus, our savior, our big brother. So if we haven't learned these lessons, if we just rush off, or if we just talk to the people who are similar to us, and we're avoiding everyone else, we are not going to experience something glorious about the very nature of God himself. I would say, if you can, it would involve trying out a life group as well. Life groups meet across the city, and purposefully, they're not certain types of people meeting in, it's not similar people meeting in certain locations, it's everyone dotted around the city, meeting together in different ways, either in homes or online, and making it work, and living in harmony, and caring about one another. I think they're wonderful. It means this, hugging, no shrugging. <laughs> hugging, no shrugging. You don't just dismiss things. You don't say, oh, it doesn't matter. But actually, we are going to move towards a place where we love one another and we restore relationships. In, in the literal translation of this verse, the more literal one, which sounds a bit messy, but I think you'll get an idea. It says this, be of the same mind toward another not minding the high things, but with the lowly going along. That doesn't make any sense. Become not wise in your own conceit. Can you see the original Greek really focuses on what we think. Be of the same mind, not minding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And I think this would have been very relevant in another city. Paul wrote to another city, which was called Philippi. In the letter of Philippians, there seems to be one thing that Paul is trying to address. And it seems to be that there are two women who are disagreeing with one another in that small house church. And it threatens to split the group apart. And Paul says to them, be of the same mind. Which is also exactly the same phrase as we've got here, which says, live in harmony. It's the same phrase. Be of the same mind. Now, do you notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, hey, woman B is correct, so think like her. He says, look, I know you disagree. I want you to be of the same mind. How on earth do you achieve that? And especially in our culture, we have a culture that loves to polarize. Well, you either think this or you think this, and we can't talk. If you have this political opinion or this political opinion, you read this newspaper or this newspaper, we simply cannot be in the same room. We can't be having the same dialogue. I can't talk to you. Whereas Paul's saying, no, 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 keep talking, but make sure that you end up being of the same mind. I think what he's getting to is not that we can't hold different opinions in his communities, it's not that we can't disagree in the slightest. It is that we should strive for a higher level of agreement. Look, we agree that Christ is our savior. We agree that God is the center of all truth. We agree that searching after truth will lead us to God and lead us to goodness. We are imperfect, 
our opinions are flawed, but God is true. We worship him together. We know that he deserves all the glory. Me winning the argument isn't the most important thing. It is God getting the glory. And so we actually strive for higher things whilst allowing ourselves space to disagree, to have conversations, to talk about things, even to occasionally butt heads. But we're doing it in a way where we are committed to being together. And we're not just going to go away from one another. I think that's what he's getting at when he says this. He says in Corinthians, it seems like they had a similar issue in, in Corinth. What should we do about this individual? What should we do about this issue? He says to them in his second letter, look, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, same phrase that we have, live in harmony, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. He doesn't say agree to disagree. He doesn't say, get over it. It's not a big issue. He says, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, I've been reflecting on this. Many of you know we've got a church family meeting next week where we will be discussing things that have been going on in the life of this church and there will be a lot of transparency, hopefully, and honesty and, and time for sharing. One of the lessons I'm learning is that harmony is not achieved by keeping people quiet or not encouraging them to voice their concerns. Harmony isn't achieved by us ignoring issues or silencing or not talking about them. True harmony is achieved through being open, transparent, truthful, hearing what people have to say, addressing those things, apologizing, seeking for restoration and reconciliation amongst us. And I think also true harmony is, is achieved, so it's not achieved by keeping people quiet. It's also not achieved by keeping quiet about issues. Look, this is one of the hardest things of being a pastor, is it is our responsibility to, before God to actually address certain behaviors, certain things that people are doing that brings disunity, that upsets people, that offends, that makes people feel unsafe. It is our job to try and address those things, and it's not fun, but I think it is necessary. A much easier thing to do would be shrug, pretend th things aren't happening, and just allow things to carry on and hope that they go away. But I don't think God would answer that prayer. God, let this disharmony amongst people or let that individual who's upsetting people, let them just leave, please. I don't think God will answer that prayer because he's called us to strive to live in harmony with one another. And that requires those who've been called to leadership to actually step in and do something. So I think this, there is a fake version of harmony where we just shrug, we avoid one another, we just fit in our own niches, we are ignore issues, and we pretend things are okay. But I think God is teaching us as a church that is not true harmony. That is not the way to go. So thank you to all of you who are here, working on this together, who are being supportive, and let's keep going. But here's an example, I think, of beautiful harmony. I've come to a different conclusion now. I, 
I had this idea that keeping everything harmonious is about keeping everything peaceful and quiet. I have a slightly different view based on my reading in this. Here's a clip from um, a TV show, The Bear. There's something about two things about that clip that really strike me. I think that final scene, if you haven't watched it, those two uh, who were well-suited and booted and were front of house were at the beginning of the show, they were the handymen at the back doing the pipes, trying to fix the air conditioning that was always broken, trying to fix the hobs. Now, they are the front of house. They are the people who are welcoming the guests and having perhaps the biggest impact. And he's feeling scared because he doesn't think that's his role. But it turns out that is actually how he's been gifted. And I think that is some of us in this room. You need that moment from Jesus holding your face and just be, saying, don't be scared. Don't be scared of what I've called you to be. Don't be scared of what I've called you to do. And just a reflection I've been having, it's been nagging on my mind a little bit. Living in harmony with one another, I, I wonder whether that word is also for a, a couple or a married couple or some people in a relationship who they know that there's something going on in the relationship. That you, they know that there's tension, they know that there's difficulty, but one of you isn't yet brave enough. You need that word from Jesus to say, be brave, live in harmony, and that might be talking to someone, opening up marriage counseling. It might be speaking to our care team. You can find that information on our website easily. It might be taking the step of bravery to actually talk about this so that things can be brought out, so that you can actually strive for something far greater. Don't keep quiet. But then the, the second thing about that clip I love is just seeing, uh, if you take a step back and watch a professional kitchen, it looks a mess. There's bumps and bruises and cuts and burns everywhere. Everyone's sort of, it's chaos. But actually, when you look at it from a different angle, it's beautiful. Everyone, they're not all in there making their own dish of food. They're, all, they're not making all of the different parts and they're all, they're all creating their own separate dishes. No, they're all working on one dish together. They're each using their gifts and their roles and their responsibilities and they're doing it really well and they've been taught by others how to do that specific task and then it all comes together on that final plate at the end and it is beautiful. And I would say that is what you guys are doing as you bring your various gifts in different ways from seeing marriages supported and strengthened, from seeing new parents receive all sorts of love when they have a new baby and they need help and they need food and everything else, people pulling together to support that. And I want to highlight one lady who is on the screen right now who we need to say thank you to. She is here. Nat, are you? Yes. <laughs> this is why I texted you just now. Nat has been on our cooking team, leading a team for so many years. I think maybe more years than I've been in this church, perhaps. And everyone knows Nat's meatballs. Everyone has had the wonderful experience of eating her food. But I think also the way that you have got your kids involved, you've got new people involved in your team and more confident about using their gift and being able to serve this church. Cooking for more than 100 people week in, week out, getting in earlier than anyone else apart from our premises team, it is inspiring. And Nat, sadly, is uh, stepping off the team, but rightly, because she has run her race in our cooking team at least. 
And there are great things that God is going to do. And he, he, he's already raised up other leaders who Nat has actually been involved in training them. But we as a church need to say thank you to Nat for what she's done. Come up. Come up. And just to close off the message, where, where does this harmony come from? Because as wonderful as Nat is and as wonderful as you are, it doesn't come from all of you wonderfully devoting your time. It comes from a far greater place. It comes from the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything. And I'm just going to read these verses, these passages together to try and make the point. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say, and that there may be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Then in Colossians, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then right at the center in Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the center of a harmonious church is a messy death on a cross. A very vivid death on a cross. A very real death on a cross. And then a very real resurrection from the dead. Jesus has dealt with the sin that we've committed against God, but also against one another. He has dealt with the disunity and the agony and the chaos that we create. And keeping Jesus at the center of this church is how we will get anywhere close to living in harmony with one another, being of the same mind, keeping peace. And the most important way of doing that and keeping that at the very center, I think, is taking communion together. That is the meal that Jesus left for us, to put him at the center and think of the symbolism in this meal. You have a whole piece, broken, scattered, but what's the purpose of breaking the bread? It's actually to bring people together in groups. It's, what's the point of pouring out the wine? It's to bring people together so that they drink it together. It is the most wonderfully unifying activity, but it begins with scattering, it begins with breaking, and it begins with disunity. That is the incredible symbolism that we have in this meal. And I want us to do that together as we respond in worship. I would love us to do it in groups as we've been doing, break apart the chairs, form small groups, and take time to break, to share, to eat, to pray, and then we'll all stand up and respond in worship. And I think it is important, if there is someone on your mind in this building that you need to reconcile with, then it may be the moment to be brave and to take communion to them and take communion with them. We won't be looking because it'll be, it'll be beautiful chaos in here, as it always is. And then we will worship together. But let's keep Jesus at the very center of this 
So whoever wants to take leadership in those groups, break the bread together. All of the bread is gluten-free now. We've moved towards that solution so we don't have to use riddles to try and explain things. Share it amongst one another. Someone pray and give thanks for the bread that it is Jesus' body broken for us. Someone give thanks for the wine it is Jesus' blood poured out for us. Pray together and then let's sing and worship Jesus together. Let me pray just from this verse in Romans 15 again. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant us to live in harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.